What's up, y'all? Welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. I appreciate y'all. November is National Adoption Awareness Month. For too long, adoptive voices have not been centered in conversations about adoption, and that has led to a one-sided narrative dominated by adoptive parents and adoption agencies. That's been changing. And this month, we're joining the chorus of adoptees who have been sharing their stories by highlighting Asian American adoptees right here in Indiana. Today, I am joined by Lillian Barkas, CEO of Listen to Our Future, a grassroots organization to educate youth and allow them to be change makers in their community. Hey, Lillian, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. For folks who may not know, Lillian and I met very early on in my own journey mm-hmm. at a vigil slash rally for the Asian American community in general. Um, 2021? 2020. Was it 2020? 2021, maybe. I it don't was know. within the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but what and I was one of the last people to go, and two people went before me, one of them being Lillian. And the two people that I recognized who had went before me, or I didn't recognize them that went before me, but they talked about being adopted mm-hmm. and their experience growing up in Indiana. And in my mind, I was like, oh, okay, there are people here who I need to connect with after this. And after we all got done, I think we may have just like shared a couple words right before the end of the event. And as everybody was leaving, there was just like seven people that stood afterwards. And we all just stood in a big circle mm-hmm. <laughs> in the parking lot of St. Luke's Church on 86th. And uh, we realized this is the adoptee community here. And yeah. we all connected. We all shared in conversation. And one thing led to another. And you and I and Amy Thomas started our Indiana adoptee group. We did. We did. Do you remember your feelings about that moment in time when we kind of first came together? Um, yes, because it was the first time that I felt like I was able to share my experience as a Asian adoptee, especially like the frame of reference as a woman. Um, and because the reason that we had all gathered together was because of what happened. And I believe Atlanta, Georgia, where okay, there so- was a mass murder of Asian women in a massage parlor. Um, And that was just like really like life altering for me because I've never experienced something like that, especially like something as widespread against like people that looked like me. So being able to have that opportunity to unpack that, but all the while discovering that there was a whole bunch of other adoptees, oops, that I was with. And because that's never been like the narrative. It's always been like you... Asian people exist and then adoptees exist. But the thing about it is you don't know who's an Asian adoptee compared to who is just any other old Asian. Right. It's like because you're not going around. Like, are you adopted? A lot of people, (laughs) yeah, you're just not advertising it. No. And for whatever reason, I feel like we hide that sometimes. We obscure it from from view, from the public eye. So it was was nice to find that community. And we are still 
together today. We were yeah. talking about before. We might, might not be gathering as much, but we're gonna we're trying. We're, we're here. trying to make it happen. Um, well, I appreciate you sharing that. And for anybody else who may not know you, do you mind sharing just a little bit more about yourself? Yes. Um, well, my name is Lillian, Lily, whichever. Um, I am currently operating as the CEO of Listen to Our Future, a grassroots organization that I had founded uh, back in 2020. We started our first program in 2021. Um, now I, so we primarily do tutoring um, for students in Indianapolis that can't afford it. We know that there's two main barriers. It's uh, transportation and cost. So to eliminate those barriers, we make all of our programs free for families, and we also travel to the students to make sure that we're meeting them where they are. Um, so now I oversee about 53 college-age students that go all across Indianapolis. We have 12 different locations, um, and they service 300 students every single day. Um, so I am overseeing all of that. It's been crazy. I quit my job as a teacher just over a little bit, almost a year and a half ago. Um, and I've been doing this ever since. So it's been really great to do something in the city that I grew up in, um, in a city that has, I've always known as home. Um, when I was younger, like I've had really great experiences of adults and people in my life, like listening to me and empowering me to pursue my dreams, to be everything that I can be. Um, so that's why we named Listen to Our Future, Listen to Our Future, because we believe that in order to progress society into what we want it to be, we have to listen to everybody, but especially young people that are going to really take us into that next generation. And we really want young people to kind of be at the center of all of that. I absolutely love that. And I think I appreciate you sharing a little bit about your experience, like with the group and why the group like that first meeting was important, because obviously your work is rooted in community. Mm -hmm. And then now like finding community for yourself and knowing that you can build that there and then building that up. Does that inform like the community that you build yourself? Does that inform the work that you do? Obviously, you're already involved in that prior to us getting to that point mm -hmm. of meeting and connecting. But as you kind of move through your work, how does community inform that specifically? Community is everything. Um, I feel like so much of my life has been involved not feeling like I had a strong community of like that I could call my own that I could walk unapologetically in as myself mm. um and so I seek out places where I can do that and I've found that I can do that when I work with children I can unapologetically be myself and they accept me for who I am um I don't have to pretend to be anyone and that's just like an amazing feeling I have found it with uh, the adoptee community, just knowing how we have so many shared experiences. Um, you know, so as I carry community with me, because I think, especially as I have become an adult, community means something very different for me. Um, and it's, you know, it's independence and mm. finding that for yourself. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Community is independence. Yeah. That is, I like that. That's uh that's a good definition. I like that language too. Because I totally agree. I think you do find yourself in community, particularly when you find your people within, like even the larger communities that you were a part of. Um, I think when I entered into the adoptee community, at first it was like you have to be friends with everybody. You got to mm -hmm. know everybody. You got to do all the things. 
and it was overwhelming, mm-hmm. especially because, like you said, I was like you, you know, I didn't have that growing up. Mm-hmm. And so once I had it and then realized, okay, maybe I don't have to do all these things and then started to find those people within the larger group, mm-hmm. like it's when you really, I really started to hit that stride, really mm-hmm. started to figure out, you know, what is it that I want to do? What is it about myself that has been hidden or obscured or I've rejected, you know, that part of my identity? How can I start to actually build that up in me? And do the things that I want to do to be the person that I want to be. Yes. So I yes. love that. Absolutely. Um, and I love that you do that with like your work with kids specifically because like we have to model yeah. a lot of this stuff too. And especially as adoptees, like we can try and change the hearts and minds of adults right now, mm-hmm. which we should do. I think that's important work. And if we're not, modeling for kids what it looks like to live in this identity and to like share be open about this experience Mm -hmm. like we're still gonna find us fighting this really difficult battle Mm -hmm. um of validating that identity and getting recognition for our experiences that are not um completely aligned with the dominant narrative of adoption of this happily ever after like everything is all good yeah it's super positive um And with that comes, like, being able to talk about all kinds of things. And so, like, the show is about the missing pieces of conversations that we already have. What do you feel like, and from your perspective, what is a missing piece from this conversation around the adoptee experience that you want to be able to talk about? Yes. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this, one, because I want to emphasize to people that adoptees are people that go through human experiences just like everybody else. Mm. Um, that narrative, like my mom and I, we used to always like read these books about adoption together. Um, and they all had like such happy feel good endings. Um, and so I think like it's set my life up to expect there to be a overwhelming sense of joy and like, but that's, that's not life. While you can experience that in life, that is not the reality that which people live in, right? Because right. I'm, I'm still a person. Right. Um, so I think what's really missing from this whole situation is really diving deeper into grief when you lose your adopted parents. Mm. That's a whole new level of identity that like for me personally was like very earth shattering. Sure. Um, and I feel like I have been on this journey since I lost my mom to reclaim like who I am and my communities and like what I want out of life um, because it's hard. Like I, I don't even really know anyone that it's been adopted that's lost their parents. Sure. Um, so I think that, and I know that there was a big wave of adoptees that came and now we're what like, mid thirties, early twenties, late twenties. Um, and so our parents are probably in their like 50s, 60s, 70s. So they're, I feel like that, you know, they're just at that age where they're getting older. Um, so my mom, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I was a freshman in college. Um, and she passed away my first year out of college, my first year teaching, which was also the lovely (laughs) COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so yeah, like I experienced that. I was 22 at the time that my mom passed away. So I was super, super young. Also, my parents got divorced when I was in the third grade. So mm-hmm. like, 
even that in itself is another thing that we don't talk about. Like right. it's always two parents happily ever after, whatever that might be. Um, but no, my parents like they didn't make it. Um, and so that was like a whole nother layer of family dynamic that was interesting to explore. Um, but I really think like after losing my mom, now I came to this place where I was like really at a loss because it almost teleported me back to the beginning of my life where I, I don't know anything about the first year that I was on this earth. Sure. So when I lost my mom, it was like this, that, that whole chunk of my existence was just, that's what I categorized that under was the love of my mom. Mm. But before this, I had to confront that. And that's when I was really digging deep into looking at my history, looking at my past. Um, and I'm still working on that. Uh, but I think that that experience of losing my mom was one that made me examine who I was as, as an adoptee. Sure. Yes. I appreciate you sharing that. Yes. I think it speaks to, I think of that whole experience leading into you losing your mom right at the start of COVID talks about like all of the loss that we experience, mm -hmm. especially because we started with, with loss, mm -hmm. you know, as uh, we're separated from our first families for whatever reason. And then you experienced a secondary loss at, through your parents' divorce. Mm -hmm. And so that's another layer. And then now coming out of college, it's like a hectic time of working. There's a literal lockdowns because of a pandemic that's affecting everyone in the world. And you have this, no, another earth shattering loss. Yeah. And you talk about walking through this, like starting to really confront the history, confront your own story a little bit. And you also talk about, you know, like naming the grief of it all. Mm -hmm. What was that? If you don't mind sharing that initial like grief cycle, like, and how do you move out of that to start the confrontation process of let me, let me examine this past. Let me examine, let me figure out how I redefine myself in, in the wake of all of this. Yeah. There's a lot of things to touch on with that. Um, the first one that I want to touch on is like when I originally, when I first lost my mom, like it took me two years to go to therapy. I should have gone sooner. I should have been in therapy <laughs> since I was a, a, a wee child to even just unpack adoption because 100%. there's a, a new level of um, attachment and there's a new level of just grief that comes in with everything. But I think really examining the attachment um, and the way that it's impacting my relationships mm. has been incredibly eye-opening to me um, because my attachment was to my mother and my, my adopted mother. And we had a great relationship. Like she was my day one, number one two peas in a pod. Um, so losing that, it was, it, it was really, really hard. Um, so I think grief is like a process that is never ending. Right. I think I will always grieve my mother. Um, there's a lot of things that I have done um, as far as like understanding who I am as her daughter and understanding at who I am as a Asian American woman, Asian American adoptee navigating this world. Um, so I, kind of want to touch on both yep. of those hats. Um, the first one with my mother, I think that like 
grieving that relationship that I had with her. Um, it's really helped me in a lot of ways build, listen to our future and to what it is because everything I do is in honor of her. I think mm -hmm. I've, I've taken a lot from like Chinese ideologies of like honor, respect, you know, making sure that you are, a lot of people, you, they say, uh, there's someone that was saying, you know, you feel like you're standing on the shoulders of your ancestors. Yeah. But for me, I don't know who those people are. I do know that they were strong. They were smart. They had pride. They had integrity, right? So what characteristics do I have that now I can continue to carry into these relationships? I also have to come to terms with how I am literally changing the bloodline of my family here in America. Mm. Um, and what does that mean for me? I could have old, old people rolling in their graves at the fact that I am here, that they there's an Asian even in their family. Um, so I want to make sure that my ancestral line knows that it's me. I'm I'm here. Like I'm I'm here to contribute to this family, to contribute to this bloodline, to contribute to my greater community and society as a whole. Mm. Um, so I think really standing in that and like honoring that, um, and then the other one that I wanted to talk about was the experience as an adoptee, um, an Asian American adoptee and what that means for attachment. And when I was originally like, when you asked me to come on this podcast, I had told you I had no idea what I was going <laughs> to talk about. Um, and then I had an experience in which, oh goodness, it was quite the experience. I'm not going to dig too deep into it, but I had reacted to a situation um, purely out of trauma mm. and I was lost in it. And now I will say that there are, there have been times in my life where this just happens, right? You know, we can't always control our emotions. Um, but for the first time in my life, I felt like I really had control over the situation. And I, one of the things with attachment that we were just kind of touching on, I, get really, really bad anxiety when it comes to my partner or my mother at the time when they weren't where they were supposed to be, they weren't calling me, yep. convincing myself that they were dead on the side of a, on the side of the road in a ditch and spiraling. Um, and that's like where a lot of my anxiety attacks came from when I was growing up. And then I like really sat there and I reached out to a friend and she, by the grace of God, was up and she answered my text and I was going, I was just hysterical. And then I had to like really sit there because, and she said something that was like very telling. Um, she said, it, it might not be the right way to go about it, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. Mm. And I had to sit with that and I was like, okay, okay. I, th this reaction to hurt should not be my reaction. Sure. Um, so I think like, as I was feeling that I was, you know, looking back on my relationship with my mom and how that kind of all started, but it really starts from my adoption. I was at, uh, the nursing home visiting my dad and there was an old lady who came up to me and she said, do you remember anything from China? And I was like, um, I don't think that people remember things from when they were one year old. Like that's my, that's my genuine response because sure. it like makes no sense. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, but as I was like reflecting on both of those experiences, I was really like, 
I do remember something. I remember the pain. I remember the trauma. I remember the attachment. I remember the detachment. Mm. All of those things, while I do I remember them? No, but I remember the feelings. Right. Because they have always been with me. And so I, because they've been with me for 20, what, almost 27 years now? That's 27 years of carrying that burden. I don't want to carry it anymore. Right. I can't. I can't for myself, for my future self, for my future family. I mean, I know that you are about to have your family, start your family. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't want my child to see me like this. This is not an appropriate response to not getting my phone call answered. Yeah. It just, it doesn't have to happen. And it doesn't have to be that way. I think that's what people need to understand. I think that's what we as adoptees need to understand is that it doesn't always have to be this way. Um, So yeah, those were like my recent experiences Um, I had another one, another little epiphany. Um, so my, the day that I was quote unquote forsaken, it's November 18th. Um, and I, like, there's just something that really bothers me about that because you wouldn't ask a child that's in foster care to celebrate the day that they were taken away from their family Right. with, I think what we know, like politically about what was happening in China and South Korea and all these different countries, any country at the right. time, we know that there is shady stuff that happens. Um, and that could very well be a day of mourning for me. So I was like, I, I called my boyfriend and I told him like, I don't want to celebrate my birthday on November 18th anymore. Because why, why would you ask? I believe in celebrating another year. Mm-hmm. I believe in celebrating growth. I believe in all of those things, but I don't believe in asking you to, I don't believe in asking someone to celebrate a day that could have been a day of mourning. Right. And I feel like it's really even more reckless to ask us to do that when we have no information. Right. That is a narrative strictly pushed onto us. Strictly 100%. pushed onto us. Um. So, yeah, like I've been trying to come to terms with what like I want my new birthday to be. Um. And I, I'm, I want to do a little bit more exploring, but I, I know it's going to be an important day. Just have to figure out what that day is. Well, it's part of that growth process, too, is like being able to select that. Yes. That's, I think, a part that's making me think a lot about, like, what does reclamation mean? Mm-hmm. And for some parts of it, like, I've actually been struggling, not maybe not struggling, but processing, like, what, is it reclamation or is it me actually claiming something that is truly my own? Mm-hmm. Like. You know, I have this name that I was given at an adoption agency. Mm. It's not really mine. It's not really from that birth or first family. It's just an arbitrary name that was written down on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And then that's what I've just had. And at first, like when I first came to consciousness, it was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to reclaim this. And then as I've went to been able to go back to Korea and like now reckoning with like my connection or disconnection with Korean culture and anything Korean really I'm like that's one of the things I've been grappling with is this name idea and like what do I get to claim that's mine and I think that I think about this a lot I think I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm approaching parenthood and so I'm thinking about you know what are my kids going to be able to claim what can I pass on to my Mm. kids and so I really resonate when you talk about Oh, I want to work on myself and I want to figure these things. I want to like, maybe not figure them out, but I want to start 
processing and moving the pieces around of my story in the ways that I want them to be moved. Mm. I want to be able to build the foundation that I want to build, which requires me to confront whether it be insecurity, whether it be any of these things that are tied to this uh, initial foundational trauma and loss. Mm. And by doing so, I can let go of the burden. I can maybe not, it's maybe not even like getting rid of something, but it's like being like, okay, I can walk with this. Mm. Like, I think a lot of times we think about addressing trauma and stuff as like leaping over it or Mm -hmm. like moving past it. We talk about just get, just move past it. And it's like, well, if I move past it, does that mean that I've confronted it? Or does that mean I've just like turned, uh, turned away Mm -hmm. and like, I'm just not, I'm not going to worry about it. And I realized for 30 years I was turned away from all of the stuff within my life that was affected by my adoption, by the rejection of my identity. And by not addressing that, I was really like, I've done a lot of harm to myself. Yeah. The word that I was looking for earlier um, that I've been trying to like catch is abandonment. Mm, Yeah. Let's I want to sit in that word because like when I was talking about my experience with my mom, like that, to me, is a form of abandonment. 100%. Talking about my first family, abandonment. Talking about my parents' divorce, abandonment. So there's like this trend. And if you really truly ask, Lily, what's your biggest fear? Abandonment. So when that's when I when I don't get that phone call that I'm expecting, when I don't see, you know, some time, yep. time's ticking, um, it, it brings up those emotions. And I think that that is such a strong word that has so many strong emotions associated to it that, of course, like, my reactions might not even make a whole lot of sense. Right. But I feel like that, and for so long, I think I've just kind of, like, acted like that wasn't an issue. And, like, why should I? I had a great mom. I had a great, like, people, I'm sure you have a much better life here than what you would have had. Whatever it is to justify it, but it's still at the end of the day, I remember that abandonment because that feeling still carries with me. So I guess, can I ask you a question as the host? What's your biggest fear? Uh, My biggest fear is the same. It's either it's abandonment and it's being alone. Yeah. And like it took me a long time to really say that. But like when you were talking about, oh, I'm not getting the phone call. I remember specifically as a like a 10 year old or like when I first could stay home by myself, my parents were like, okay, we'll be home at seven. And it's like seven minutes, seven o'clock and like 30 seconds. And I'm like pacing back and forth by the window, every car that drives by and the thing. I'm like, oh, that wasn't them. And then I'm like freaking out. Yeah. And my parents like for a long time didn't understand like, why are you worried? Like, I was just basically, it was like, you're worrying so much. Mm And similar to you, you know, I had a pretty, I had a very positive adoption experience of a great relationship with my parents. And however, that doesn't negate this abandonment issue, this abandonment trauma, this worry and fear that that could happen at any time Mm -hmm. because like I was really close to my grandparents. And so I'd lost my grandmother uh, last August or not this past August, but August, 2022. And that's like, been the most significant loss, even though I lost my grandpa, her husband on my birthday in 2012, which was a whole thing in itself. But like it does for a moment or many moments even feel like you've left me 
And it's not like I'm blaming them at all because I love that person. Mm -hmm. And also it's still, but it still feels like that because like I know what it's, even though I don't know, I don't, can't picture the people that left me Mm -hmm. uh, or gave me away Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, relinquished me. I can feel the feeling and I feel the feeling in here, in my gut, Mm -hmm. in my mind at all times, which makes me react to things in ways that don't make cry. sense. Oh, I'm sorry. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> no, but like that's so so true, yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. that like, and I'm not here to say that like other people don't have those exact same fears. 100. That's not it at all. I just think that the way that adoptees experience those are so much more intense. I think that you know the more we learn about the brain, the more we learn about you know how people learn and grow and develop. Like these are feelings that have decades decades long you know um from when your brain first was there and so these are emotions and feelings that you've had since you've been developing so you can't tell me you know the way that your neurons work and the neurological pathways that we build you can't tell me that ours haven't been affected by our adoption a hundred percent and i think that that's even worth having a conversation about and because i think a lot of people will you know try to suppress the voice that we're trying to bring to the table because it doesn't make them feel good, makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, But you just have to understand that my brain just is wired a little bit differently than yours. And I have been wired to process things like abandonment in a way that is almost dangerous, dangerous for me. Like I feel like I'm, I'm in crisis a hundred percent. And when you lose someone that's so close to you, the in which you feel like you're in crisis, it, it's frequent. It's a lot. It takes a little bit to make that snap. Right. Um, so, you know, I think that if I were to change anything or have an impact in any way, I think it would really be helping adoptees through grief because that's a whole new, that's a whole new ball game. It is. And I think that, we, you talk, we stand about, you stand on our shoulders of our ancestors. And I think for me, like a missing piece from within the community that we have to talk about is like the adoptees who have been doing this work and who have been, especially in the academic spaces. Um, I also think that like, they like sometimes that work is, can be really inaccessible mm. for not only the people within the community, but especially people without outside of the community, as we try to like figure out language even yeah. for, and concepts for what is it that I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. Like what is grief to me mm-hmm. and to, and as not only as at the individual level, but the collective level, like how do we go through this together? Mm-hmm. And I like what you said, you know, like not only moving through it, but, um, people having to like not suppress that voice, mm-hmm. um, especially from outside of the community, not suppress our voices, but even inside the community, not suppress your own voice, which happens because of that external pressure that we feel. And another thing that I was just thinking about was like you said, when after your mom passed, it took two years to find therapy. Like I resonate with that deeply because I only just started my own therapy journey yeah. um, this past year, like in the past, like, three months Mm -hmm. and completely agree. I should have been in therapy a long time ago. However, I was telling, even my mom recognized, she's like, I think you should talk to someone. I remember her saying that like when I was in high school because I would like 
battle with depression. And I would be like, no, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm always would say that I'm fine. And for whatever reason, or for all of the reasons, like that was me suppressing my own voice, Mm -hmm. telling me like, you're not fine. Mm. And then me be not listening to that. I, like, I couldn't listen to that voice if I was to survive and thrive in the world from my from what I had perceived the world to be mm-hmm. and, like, who I was supposed to be in that space. Um, so I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, oh, we've been talking for a long time already. Um, so I want to ask you, for people, like, this is an issue, like, this is a conversation like grief specifically is something we can definitely talk more about within the community. I think abandonment and attachment is something that we have been starting to have a lot of conversations about, which I love. And I think one of the things that's important is for more people to start confronting that and then just sharing their story, whether it be to one other person in private Mm -hmm. or a bunch of people on a podcast, like Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like starting to be able to vocalize that to even one other person, I think is super important because if we keep it internal, like, you can process it, but I do think there's some necessary power within the, like, being able to process together with with other people. It's healing. Yeah. It's healing. A hundred percent. Well, especially when you think about abandonment and attachment, like, we want to be able to talk to somebody about it, especially because we've probably, most of us probably sought language and conversation to be able to do so. Mm-hmm. How do folks outside of our community support us in this journey to understand grief and to be able to start having these conversations even outside of our community how do we how do how do folks who don't share that lived experience don't share that identity support the journey that we're on that doesn't then center themselves within said journey mm-hmm Um, Well, I think the not like great thing about grief, but I think the thing about grief is that it's common and everyone experience it. You can't tell me that you haven't, people haven't lost a loved one, you know? So I think that that is the, when it comes to conversation, I feel like we, there, there's a necessity to find common ground first. Mm. So what is that common ground? How can we um, have discourse and conversation around that common ground and then understanding that you have your perspective coming into this. And I also have my perspective coming into this Um, and just coming to the table and understanding that the people are complex. People are dynamic. We are, there are 8 billion variants of human, of human living on this earth and not one of them are the same. So take that, like, at the very least. Yeah. Doesn't have to be, you don't have to treat me any sort of type of way because I'm an adoptee. Right. You should treat me some type of way because I am Lily. I am the only Lily Mm. that you will come past. And so take the time to get to know me just as I want to take the time to get to know you. Yeah. And that's community. That's connection. Mm. That's independence. Mm. I love I I love how you tie those all together. I love this. I like that you bring it back to the concept of like we're people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that gets lost in the shuffle too, particularly with when you, with conversations around adoption, especially by people who aren't adopted. Mm-hmm. It's like we're either babies or we're young children, and then that's the end of the story for them. 
and so disappear. Yeah, and so when we grow up, and then that's the thing I think that I've been wanting to talk about more is like when we grow up, not only do we not like we're no longer those children, but people like discount the fact that we were adopted and other things about us take precedence. Mm -hmm. Like we're Asian American or we have a disability Mm -hmm. or our gender identity, whatever it is, like whatever intersecting things that we're a part of somehow become more important. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the big issues around adoption and why it's so difficult to have the conversation is because adoptee personally for me is an identity and we don't view it as such Mm -hmm. in the larger community And I think a lot of that goes back to not just the dominant narrative, but because we don't look at the person as a person, as Lily, as Patrick. Mm -hmm. We look at them as the Asian person, Mm -hmm. you know, or something else that we put on as a qualifier. Mm -hmm. And when we share that we're adopted, like a whole bunch of other things come at play that are tied to those other things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we have have you been back to Korea or have you been back to China? You don't mm-hmm. do you speak Mandarin? Like, yeah. do you cook Korean food? Like it all becomes this because of something else. Mm-hmm. And the adoption piece then gets left on the wayside mm-hmm. be, to to begin with or as we move along in the conversation. And so it's always a rung below everything else and we have to bring it to an equitable place within the conversations that we're having. Mm. And so I appreciate what you're sharing because I think if people, and this just, this goes for everybody and for any identity, if we just meet people as who they are and where they're at and approach it with a curiosity to learn about the person, you know, we have an opportunity to then raise the bar of where we at, of where we're at when we have these conversations around identity, particularly when it comes to adoption. I heard someone say, I think it was at a conference, it said, um, shifting the way of thinking instead of meeting them where they are, meet them where they dream. Oh, okay. Yeah. I say meet meet us where we're at a lot, but I like meet them where they dream. Yeah. Interesting. I think I, because like when I know about your dreams, I know about your heart and I'm maybe a little bit more considerate mm. when I'm, especially if I'm talking to someone that I don't know or might have different beliefs than me, or I might just like not really understand. I think it's really hard to have those types of conversations when we don't even want to understand where people are. A hundred percent. So I think it, it takes a special person to, you know, be like to take on that you know, that identity of saying, I want to meet people where they are. I think that's great. Um, But I think that there's other avenues to like helping people. Right. Um, Because some people, you know, they just, they don't want to meet people where they, they truly don't want to meet people where they are. Mm, That's powerful. I love that. All right. Well, my bonus question has changed. Okay. Where, what are you, what, what is your dream? Where are you dreaming? And how can we meet you there? Oh my goodness. Um, I got a couple dreams. My dream is to make Listen to Our Future a national organization. You can meet me at a different city mm. and start up a chapter there. Um, my dream is to have a family for my own and to say, like, that this is who we are. We I want to be that family that is we are the the family that other generations look up to Mm. 
I've been digging into the Bible a lot recently, and okay. it just like goes down from like Abraham, all and it just goes down and down, and Jacob, and it goes down and down and down. Like these people were chosen to be picked out of all these other people for a reason. I want to be one of those people that gets picked out of my bloodline for a reason. Okay. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, I think it just ties directly into your own story and talking about the attachment to your family and the honor of like what listen to your future or listen to our future is about what your own work is about is honoring that family, the family that you've been a part of honoring that legacy and letting them know like, this is who I am. This is why I'm doing this work. And I am here to be a part of this. Like I've always been a part of it since I was brought into it through whatever means. And this is what I'm going to make of it. I, I, I just, I tell people all the time, I don't even belong here. I wasn't even meant to be here, but maybe I was because like, what? Yep. But I was born thousands of miles away. So you can't tell me that life isn't a coincidence or like, isn't, it could be a coincidence. It could be whatever you view it as. Right. It could be a coincidence. It could be orchestrated, whatever it is, but I'm here and I'm here for a reason. Right. There's no denying that. A hundred percent. I could not resonate with that more. I feel the exact same way about why we're sitting here right now, about why I'm in Indianapolis, why I'm, why everything that has happened has happened for a specific reason. I couldn't tell you why. Couldn't tell you who's pulling the strings. I don't necessarily believe in fate, but I feel like if one thing wouldn't, if one thing would have been different in 2020, when I started this whole journey, like I wouldn't be here right now. In 2021 and 2022, certain things went a different way. I wouldn't be here right now. And then tracing it all the way back, like if a decision was not made the way that it was made, I would not be here right now. I'd live a different life. You can call it God. You can call it manifestation. You can call it the universe. You can call it Allah. You can call it whatever you want. We know it's there because we feel it so deeply in our souls. And so like that's what I cling on to. That's what I hold on to. And like, that's where I'm trying to get the connection that I've been craving my entire life. Mm. That connection that's never going to go away. I'm here for that. Lily, it's been an absolute honor to have you here on the show. Thank you. Um, Like I said, we were, we've had the conversation I thought we might have, but we've also had a different one. And that's the whole point of the show is to dig into that just whatever the conversational aspect is and learn. And you've been teaching me, you've been schooling me the entire time that we've been here. Um, Two more questions. One, who are you learning from right now? Well, like I said, I've been digging deeper into the Bible. I started with Genesis and I've been going into that. But I think just like my spiritual journey has been something that I have think for a while there, like I wasn't willing to learn. Mm. Um, I had a lot of church hurt that I was carrying around with me. Um, but like I said, like, listen to our future. It just, we could not have gotten here by my two hands. Like on paper, sure. My name is there. But like, if you were to tell me how this all happened, I would have just been like, I don't know. I gave it up. I surrendered everything. I gave it up. And now this is where we are. Um, so I think that that has been a really big transformational journey that I've been learning from. Mm. Um, and shout out to my therapist yeah. for making me do the hard work. Um, it has been a journey. I think I've been discovering a lot about myself. Um, 
and just being able to have those spaces and opportunity to talk about like grief and um, trauma in a whole new way um, has been really an honor and a blessing. Love it. Shout out to the therapists out yes. there. Shout out to my therapist. We need more of them. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And last but not least, how do we, how does this audience support you? How do we support Listen to Our Future going forward? Spread the word about what we do. Um, we do have a podcast. We have a okay. newsletter. Visit our website. I designed it. Um, buy our merch. Um, you know, if you are really interested in the work that we do, reach out to us. Schedule a call. I love talking about what we do um, because it is impactful. And from what I have seen, we are here and we're not going anywhere and we have the data and all the evidence to back up that what we do is impactful and it's meaningful to our city. Mm. Need that data. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I think on top of that, you have the testimonies of all the people that you've been helping and all the people who want to join you mm -hmm. to do the work as well. Yeah. So Lily, thank you so much for joining me here on the show. It means a lot to me, and we'll have everything that we talked about linked here in the show notes. We'll have ways to connect with us into our future linked in the show notes as well. Wait, let me really quickly ask you, how do people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, Instagram, Lily Barkett, Lily, Lily Barkus, Instagram, um, honestly, my listen to our future email, Lillian. Barkis at listen to our future .com. Don't ask me why. I made a mistake at the beginning when we were forming it all. I picked .com instead of .org, but it's fine. It's all right. Yeah. You know, you we can, all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Maybe one day you'll be able to purchase that .org as well. I do have it. Okay, there you and go. And it is linked, but you know. Perfect. Business right. world. <laughs> the classic business world. All right, well, we will have all of that linked in the show notes here. Um, including how to connect um, as well. Shout out to our video guy, Torn Messer. He's walking around in the background. Shout out to Soundspace and Lightbound Studios for the space. Um, if you do want to support this show, leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to Conversation Piece, the newsletter, our weekly newsletter, to stay up to date on everything that we've got going on. And don't forget, paid subscribers get access to our weekly companion piece podcast, Conversation Notes. Really excited about the one coming out this week accompanying this episode um last but not least if you do want to chat about anything you've heard on this episode anything else drop us a dm at conversation pod piece on instagram or you can hit me up directly at patrick in the world and that's it you're gonna find one more conversation coming to you this november highlighting another asian adoptee here in indiana but until next time this has been conversation piece i've been patrick armstrong this is lillian barkas and we'll see you soon